Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters podcast. Today I am very pleased to be joined by Anna Martin and we are going to be talking about Latin and Greek, studying Latin and Greek as home educators. Now this is, as soon as I saw Anna pop up on one of my Facebook groups, I went straight onto the comments and I was like, come on the podcast because these are really interesting subjects. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Anna, and do tell us a little bit about yourself and how you relate to the home education community and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about myself. Uh, You will have noticed from my accent that I'm not originally from the UK. I studied in Barcelona when I was growing up. So I um, had a bilingual education from a very young age, which was great. I studied classics. And then when I finished my degree, I really didn't want to stay put where I was. So I traveled a lot. I went around the world teaching languages, later on teaching scuba diving, and eventually life took me to the UK, where I now work. I've been living here for, I think it's been 14 years now, so it's been quite a long time. I live in London, and um, luckily, now that everything is online, I'm able again to work with people from around the world, from my top office. So I teach students from different countries. Some of them are homeschooled. Some of them um, study in a school, but their school doesn't offer the subjects they want to learn. So I offer them outside of school. So you don't just teach Latin and Greek. Do you teach kind of uh, MFL kind of style as well? Oh, no, no, no. The subjects I meant Latin and Greek (laughs) generally. But but you're bilingual because English is amazing. I, um, when I finished my degree, I actually started teaching briefly classics and then I wanted to focus on my German and my English because I spent some time in Germany when I was studying as well. So I've been, when I was younger, teaching English, Spanish and French, a lot of Spanish, by the way, uh, because we we have a lot of visitors coming to Barcelona to learn Spanish. And then... um, yeah, later on in life, I've I've gone back to my roots of teaching Latin and Greek. But if I have a student who wants to do both Latin and Spanish, I always take that on because I think it's very exciting to do both languages at the same time. It must be quite different teaching Latin and Greek to teaching French and Spanish. Well, that is what you would think. And that's what I thought when I started. And one of the reasons probably why I stopped teaching Latin and Greek initially, because it was a very different way of learning. And it could be very demotivating for lots of students because you had to focus a lot on the grammar and the translation skills and accuracy and making sure you put your ending right there with precision. And at some point I was like, well, I am the same teacher when I'm the same person when I teach Latin and when I teach Spanish. We're having a lot of fun when I'm teaching Spanish, everyone. When I'm teaching Latin, some students are having a lot of fun because they enjoy the challenge. Other students are having a a terrible time. They have fun because we're doing activities, but they're struggling. So um, as a result, I started bringing some of the philosophy of my, my Spanish lessons into my Latin teaching. I saw it worked. And in fact, now when I teach, I use a lot of um, 
singing, speaking. So I, I develop all four skills in my Latin lessons as I do in my Spanish lessons. Materials oh, are still not the same. Exams are still not the same, <laughs> but I try as best as I can to make it a language learning experience, like an immersive experience. Yeah, because I'm guessing that for the exams, Latin and Greek are very written based, reading yes. and writing based, whereas for Spanish and French, it's based on the four, like the quartet, right? Exactly. The, yeah, the speaking, listening, mm. reading, writing. Now, so it's interesting that you said that you found you were teaching Latin in one way and Spanish in another, because that is my perception of language yeah. learning. Mm -hmm. My perception is that because they're dead languages, in inverted commas, that you focus on the right, the reading and the writing because there's no one to speak to. So you're not practicing that element so much. But there is, if you want to. There is. Like, for example, if you have a teacher like me, you can speak to your teacher, you can teach, uh, speak to the people in your class. And increasingly, there's a world community of people online who meet up and speak Latin and even meet in person and speak Latin. So we're bringing it back. It was difficult 20 years ago. It's not difficult today. Because 20 years ago, you had to rely on the media, say the French TV or the Spanish newspapers or Spanish radio. But nowadays, anyone can produce anywhere. And there's lots of very, very um, eloquent and fluent Latin speakers producing materials. There's a little bit of a renaissance at the moment in Latin studies. So we have new books coming out every week. It's very exciting. There's Podcasts. Like niche community so for, ex for example I live in South Wales and where I live yeah. there's a lot of Welsh speakers um, and Welsh has had such a resurgence and now it you has. hear it all around you and I'm wondering is it the same kind of thing with Latin where you you join Facebook groups and then you recommend yes. podcasts to each other oh, really how <laughs> yeah. amazing so there's a, there's a bunch of people in the world talking yes. Latin to each other yes we're all there sitting there talking to each other writing messages to each other in, in Latin writing little books I've published a little Catalan story in Latin. So my first language is Catalan, together with Spanish and bilingual. And Catalan is a bit like Welsh. It's had difficulties. It's in a bit of a more difficult situation than Welsh probably at the moment in, in the sense of the direction it's going. I think Welsh, they've managed to um, revitalize it really well recently. I can see I, a very positive change. I Catalan, mean, I, I not so know... much. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know a lot about that, but I'm guessing that politics plays a part in that as well, does it? Uh, yes, indeed, it does. <laughs> yes. The beauty about Latin is that well, you obviously can make it political, but we don't have uh, any associations with any countries other than the Vatican. So it's very international. It's a truly lingua franca, but it was... Uh, so it's like Esperanto. Maybe yeah. we should have all just ditched off Esperanto and all learnt Latin as our universal language. Indeed. Yes, that would be quite cool. I've got a question <laughs> for you about Latin and this idea that you're all in this community chatting together in Latin, which I just love the idea of. Right. I read something interesting oh, like about a year ago that was that said that we don't know how Latin was pronounced. And the and only it, way we can mm. find out is by reading poetry and trying to guess like how it scans and what it rhymes with. Is that true? And how do you go about pronunciation if we have no no actual audios of how it was spoken? I love that you're asking me this question. <laughs> I love talking about this. We do have ways of knowing how they spoke. We don't have recordings, so we don't have 100% proof uh, of exactly how they spoke. However, 
you've mentioned the poetry. We do have the poetry. Um, if they're telling us that here there's a rhetorical effect by a repetition of certain sounds, then you know those sounds are sounding similar, for example. But it's not only that. We also have spelling mistakes. When people start making spelling mistakes, it's because the pronunciation is changing. So they are very, very revealing spelling mistakes. We also have the ability to reconstruct what spoken language actually was like, as opposed to written language, from the changes that took place into the different Roman Roman lang Roman languages. So if you look at Spanish, you can see that reflected the short and the long vowels that we had in Latin, and it can give you an idea of where it may come from. So if you study general linguistics and universal linguistics, and you take a look at how languages generally change, and what processes are possible, you can reconstruct quite a lot of those processes with Latin. Um, an example, um, words that have moved into German, um, depending on when they have been adopted into the language, they have been adopted with one pronunciation or another. So that gives us an idea of how people were saying the word at the time. Historical linguistics is a fascinating uh, world with plenty to discover still left. So it sounds like a, you'd have to be mm -hmm. a kind of detective, you know. It's a bit of a it's, it's similar to detective work sometimes, and sometimes you just do a reconstruction, and later on documents appear and show that it was a correct reconstruction. That's exactly what people were saying at the time. So, yeah. So if we take Latin as an example, you're, you're clearly able to approach it in a similar way to Spanish or French in that you see it as a, a an alive language that you can mm -hmm. communicate with. And, it, and it's almost like a kind of secret code between a group of people that know Latin. I mean, my son would be all over this as a theory because he's a big cipher code person and anything that not many people do, he's he loves that, right? So, <laughs> so you approach it in that way. Now, Obviously, as we were talking about at the start, the exams are different. So how they do are. you then do you teach do you teach anybody that just wants to learn Latin for the fun of learning Latin? Or do you invariably, like 95% of the time, teach to the exam? And how do you then reconcile that with your more fun, boisterous approach? I teach both. Sometimes people come people come to me and say, I just want to learn Latin, and this is like somebody who wants to do ballet, but doesn't want to be a professional ballerina, for example. Other times they come to me and say, well, I want to learn Latin and also I need a nine in my GCSE. And obviously I cannot change the exam. I need to prepare them for the exam. However, there is no clash between spending time speaking the language, listening to the language and uh, modifying um, the language. There is no clash between that and doing well in an exam. In fact, I would argue in order to really acquire a language and really understand how it works, you need to be able to use it actively. So um, obviously there will be more learning of the literature that you will not have in a Spanish and a French exam, for example, or a German exam, because it's all contemporary texts and very adapted. Um, in Latin, you have the literature side of things where you're like dealing with a, a text that contemporary Romans 2000 years ago would have struggled with because it was highly literary and it used very complex um, intertext and um, 
archaisms, etc. But um, it it's not impossible to to bring little bits of the that of a language that is alive into studying a text that it's a bit dead. <laughs> like so poetry can look sometimes until you start scratching the surface and then it all comes alive again. When it comes to the exam, there's two questions I have for you. The first one is, how many exam boards offer it? And is there much difference between the syllabus? And is there a syllabus that you particularly like, an exam specification you like? Um, and my second question is, when you are, in fact, let me think about what my second question is. Should I answer the first question? Answer so, the first question. I'll think of my second question. <laughs> in the UK, most schools will do the OCR exam. That's, I, I can't give you the percentage because I don't know, but that's most schools, particularly private schools. There is also the EDUCAS exam. It's very popular and um, I think it allows a bit more room for those who don't have a lot of time to prepare for the exam. I don't specialize in, specialize in EDUCAS, I specialize in OCR. So EDUCAS, I, you mean EdXL or and AQA kind of things, right? Because EDUCAS covers those, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the AQA one. Mm -hmm. Internationally, you also have the international GCSE. That one is very similar to the uh, OCR one. And those okay. are the two I teach regularly. So you have Cambridge International, IGC, and Cambridge IGCSE, yes. and OCR, just standard GCSE. Yes, and, and then similar... you have the EDUCAS one, which I don't teach, so I can't okay. give you two. I I wouldn't be able to give you a lot of information mm. about it because I generally don't work with it. So the two that you know, they're reasonably similar, are they? Because sometimes yes. IGCSEs and GCSEs are quite different in content, but not so with Latin. They're not that different in content. Um, there's difference. There's differences when you explain where the marks come from once mm. you're giving your answers and what you need to be most careful with. But the exam itself is not very diff different at all, no. Okay. And that brings me on to my second question that I've joyfully remembered, which was, you mentioned that there's a literature element. So would I be right in thinking that for Latin, you need to do the usual reading and writing? Here's a passage, translate that to English or answer questions mm -hmm. about it or whatever. Yes. But there's mm -hmm. also a section where you're actually reading classical literature. The beautiful in Latin. section. Yeah. And yes. now who are the authors? Who are the authors they use for that? Um, it, you can choose. Your teacher has a choice or the student has a choice. Um. I generally allow my students some room for choice, but I influence them if I think they're going to like one thing more than the other. We can talk about it. But uh, so, um, yes, there is a choice. They're real authors. Generally, you can, some of them are adapted. Some of them are not adapted. I like to do the Virgil unadapted one, and I like to do the um, Cambridge Latin Anthology uh, in adapted version for the prose. So you do some Tacitus, for example, or some Apuleius that has been adapted, but has um, the flavor of the original still in there. So it's only a few things have been removed uh, or changed. And then you have Virgil, which is the real Virgil. And to me, that is um, such a um, selling point for students when I explain to them, yeah, this is not like any other foreign language where you're going to learn how to get your tickets to go to the cinema or explain what you like to do at the weekend with your friends. You actually get to engage with a text that was written 2000 years ago. And, and what sort of questions are they asked? Are they asked English literature style questions? Yes, or is it comprehension absolutely. style questions? 
both. So you have a section which will be comprehension and they will ask you um, what is happening, um, why did he do this or who does he meet um, when he arrives there, that sort of question. But then you will have a passage and they will ask you how does the author make this passage vivid or how does the author make this a compelling speech or how are we made to feel sympathy for the hero, for example. Yeah, so and those questions, English language, English yes. literature kind of techniques there. And you answer in English mm-hmm. and need to lift quotes. And you used exactly the same structure as you would do in an English exam with your peel or peer, depending who your teacher is, as a point evaluation. Having example. done history with, with both my children, I come out in a slight rash when I hear the acronym PEE. <laughs> I actually changed mine. I changed it in our family to APE because it enabled me to exactly the same things, but I just gave it a different acronym because it enabled me to make worksheets, worksheets with lots of apes on, which made me happy. Well, that's that. What are you going to put orange peel down? I'm impressed about that. Yeah. (laughs) So when it comes to the when it comes to the Latin exam, because I get asked this quite a lot by parents, is it a lot of writing? And are there are there questions that are very high marks so for example in uh, history there's sometimes like 15 mark questions and things like that is it the same kind of thing where you have big solid essay style questions or is it more mm. is there any multiple choice for example because I know um, AQA loves a bit of multiple choice um, with OCR there are some one marker two marker questions quite a few of them and then the translation is a longer chunk, but really a translation is made out of different sentences that are eventually made out of words. So that's not the problem. I think the only essay style one that you find is in the literature ones. But for those, they don't ask you to talk about a passage in Latin. They ask you about the totality of the texts that you have read. Like, for example, Virgil offers a pessimistic um, approach to war in book 12. How far do you agree with this statement? And you'd and, answer um, in English, but yes. qu- put quotes in in Latin. No, no, no. You oh, don't no, even need even to that. quote. Where they don't give you the text, you don't need to quote. So could you you can use your own English? words. Yes, you, you write in English. <laughs> but you could, you have read for, it in English? For that 10 then... marker, and you then could just... have, yes, you could have uh, read it in English and write <laughs> in English. Is it though? Because if you have read in English, I'm not sure you will be able to explain very well the effect that it has on the audience because you want to compare as well. You could you 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 may argue in your answer, well, for a modern audience, this text would be really boring. For an ancient audience, however, it mm. would provide something that we nowadays get through cinema or through other experience. But it's a point of view. Yeah, I'm not saying that's one of the answers. but Because I'm guessing as well it's about word choice and vocabulary and yes, you can't absolutely. really refer to that if you've read it in the English. No, you'd you be can't. like, here he uses the word <laughs> drizzle. It's like, no, he really doesn't use the word drizzle. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of problems with that. Um, <laughs> that comes up quite a lot. It's lots of commas. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. It's a small question and most students really enjoy it. It comes towards the end of the paper and they're they're ready to write about it. They have plenty of other opportunities to show that they understand the text in Latin. Is it two papers um, for most of the exam boards? I'm guessing it is. Uh, So you have a paper for the language 
and that includes the comprehension and the translation. And then you have another paper for the verse and another paper for the prose. Oh, so it's three written papers. Yes. And some people choose to do a classical um, studies component, but um, I don't. I don't do that because I like to focus on the language exclusively. But so there is the also an option one, to look at other sources. So the classical won't be instead of another of the units. It wouldn't be on top. Is, yes, instead of the verse, for example. Okay, so Latin sounds a lot of fun, <laughs> which is starkly different. I don't hear I that it. all the time from people I don't know. So I'm <laughs> glad you're already there. We've reached that point <laughs> in the conversation. Well, Mrs. Evans, my Latin teacher from school, would be amazed to hear me say that because my experience of Latin at school was a lot of vocabulary testing. Actually, mm. that was my experience of French. So maybe that was just language learning, which has changed a lot, hasn't it, recently? It has changed a lot because you can learn the vocabulary by just sitting there, putting your elbows on the table and repeating and writing many times, which it, it's part of the learning, but that's not the only way to learn. You can also learn by reading lovely stories, by talking about a text that you have just read in the language and then you're using those words actively. You're much more likely to remember them without the suffering. So Latin has the benefit of having the same alphabet that we use. Greek not so much so it's not a find, difference you don't find it a challenge no it's not a challenge at all it's not like mandarin i have studied mandarin myself and you have to learn a very large amount of um new science symbols i don't even know up to strokes and um, the order how you write everything is very different greek is an alphabet once you've learned the letters you're good to go you can be writing and reading in Greek in less than a week, in like yeah. two, three lessons. Actually, then my children, you get used to it very quickly. Yeah, I mean, we one summer school, when they were younger, I would give them options of things they could study during summer and they wanted to learn ancient Greek, you know, as homeschool children mm -hmm. do. And I got them a book which was like a detective's Greek, ancient Greek detective's book. They were they knew the Greek letters really within a week, like you said. Was say, it the really one easy. with the batrachos, the frog? Uh, you're testing me. It was brown and it had a, a microscope, kind of not a microscope, uh, like a magnifying glass on the front. I, I tell you what, the, anyone listening, the one I, I, I used. Yeah, I don't yeah. think there's a lot of them to be. Put, I don't no. think there's a plethora of detective it might be style the ancient Greek questions. Batrachos <laughs> one, where this frog needs to find out about his ancestor, needs to learn Greek in order to be able to read the letter. That sounds familiar, and I'm a big yeah. fan of frogs, so I can see why that might have happened. Yeah. <laughs> but they it's really, a really enjoyed fun it. one. Yes. Well, it's that sense of ciphers and coding again, isn't mm. it? It's the sense of a secret language. So, talk to me then about Greek. How is Greek different to Latin when it comes to learning it, or is the process similar? Very similar. It's pretty much the same thing. I'm uh, guessing there's not a Facebook group of people chatting in ancient Greek to each other. Well, let me break the news to you. There is. In fact, very recently, my spoken ancient Greek is not as good as my spoken Latin. So I myself joined a course with a specialist and we would meet every Sunday evening to speak ancient Greek for an hour. We would read a text and then just talk about it in Greek. So it, it does happen. Uh, yes, we're speaking. Somebody somewhere is doing this now. <laughs> So universities as well and... are pretty much on board with this. For example, in, in, in Jesus College in Oxford, they do plenty of spoken Latin. 
Um, it's also happening in the States. It's it's a movement. I was going to ask you that, actually. I was going to ask whether you think that the exam boards eventually will move towards adding a spoken and uh, listening component to Latin. I think the examining boards have um, other more important jobs to do before they do that. As much as I love having some Latin, I think they first need to look at the authors that they include and the topics in the texts. That's the first change that needs to take place. I know that's not what you bigger asked problems. me, but I'm going to take the there's opportunity. Bigger there's bigger problems. I think that needs to be sorted first. And um, I'm not opposed to assessing the progress in Latin, but I think the focus on accuracy is maybe a bit misplaced. So I would change that before I introduce a spoken element. I think that's um, maybe going too far too quickly. It's not necessary. Smaller changes might be better. And I'm, and I'm sure things are going in that direction. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with the examples is that they go at a glacial speed, don't they? So it takes a long time to filter through. But they have to. They can't really just jump into any new trend and then notice, oh, we had not noticed that's not very good. Uh, let's go back. Uh, so in a way, it's it's they, fine. They could do. <laughs> <laughs> they could do. Um, so let's, let's cycle back to ancient Greek because I have this adorable idea in my mind of you sitting in your London garden, chatting away in ancient Greek to somebody and your neighbours looking <laughs> over the fence going, what is going on in there? So does ancient Greek sound different to modern Greek? It doesn't sound that different to modern Greek. Um, again, we have a reconstructed classical pronunciation like with latin we were talking about that earlier you were saying like, how do we know we have the latin from the church then we have modern italian and then we have what we think the roman sounded like and we have a reconstruction of that and that's what we use and it's a convention we could use something else but that's what we use it's the same with greek um there are a few more disagreements i would say in the world of uh, greek speaking for example i am from spain and um we are quite adamant that certain sounds should be pronounced in a certain way. And then in England, there's a tendency to pronounce them in a different way. And then come the Greeks, it's like, we don't mind anything that you have speak studied. It. We speak it. You're not going to tell us how to pronounce it. So it's the same a little bit with the, in Latin. The Italians have a different way to pronounce it, which is not what we think is the reconstructed form of the Latin, but they're saying, are you going to tell us we've been doing it wrong for 2000 years now? Or So, yeah. Well, that's it's, interesting uh... because part of me thinks that the community of speakers that is closest sort of historically to the original language ought to get a veto. They, they ought to be like, you know what, this is how we're going to be saying it because we're the inheritors almost of the culture. Well, they is there do what they that? want. Yeah, there is a sense of that. Like definitely, Vatican. The Vatican is now not going to. It's not. It's, there's not going to turn around and say like, we're going to change our pronunciation because we've uh, done studies and yes, Cicero must have sounded different because it's unimportant. Latin doesn't belong to the first century BC, and I think that's one of the um, areas talking about the examining boards. It's one of the areas that needs to be addressed. Partly the reason why people think that Latin is not appealing or is dead or has no use is that because constantly we're working on texts from the classical times, but Latin has been used very actively in Europe and the world until not too long ago. So science well into the, into the 18th century was all done in Latin. We have literature written in Latin throughout the Middle Ages and well into the modern age. 
So um, you can't really claim that there's a right Latin way, a right way of pronouncing Latin because the pronunciation of Latin changes across time and throughout the territory. And that's fine. It's a language, it's a life. You wouldn't say that somebody from India speaks wrong English because they speak it with a different um, accent than the accent a person from London would have. Do you say that when you're talking about texts, because I know that some of the J.K. Rowling uh, Harry Potters are translated into Latin or Greek, one or other. Of both, them. both, both. Oh, really? Wow, amazing. Yes. So, is, Tolkien is there... as well. There's, yeah, we have into what? Sorry. Tolkien as well has the, oh his works uh, have been translated yeah, okay into Latin yeah is there a is there a sort of argument to say let's have some of these texts in the exam as well modern stories or would that not work so much because they're translations that's a good question uh, I think they would work if they are well written not all the translations that are published are well written or I like them other people might like them um, but why would we do that? Why would we do that when we can be accessing the thoughts, the ideas, the and getting into conversation with people in the 16th century, with people in the 9th century, in the 12th century? Why why would we want to reread Tolkien? Which we can oops, sorry, my microphone got too excited with this. Um, which we could be reading in English anyway. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The because... original version. It's equivalent of sort of sitting a Spanish exam and reading, instead of reading um, the guy who wrote Gabriel Garcia Mar, Mar Gabriel Garcia, the, the guy who Gabriel wrote Gabriel Garcia Marquez, yes. Perfect, yes. Although, was he South American or Spanish? Now I'm confused. Colombian, Colombian. Okay, yes, okay, well, scrap that. Let's let's go for a Spanish <laughs> poet. It would be equivalent of instead of I mean, It doesn't matter, a... he's, he's Spanish. Okay. I like the Spanish-speaking boy, um, or author, let's say, author. <laughs> Instead of having something like that where you're accessing the text in the original language, it would be equivalent of having T.S. Eliot translated into Spanish and then studying that for Spanish. Yeah, that would be make weird, sense. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right. Weird. Okay, in that case, if any exam board is listening, don't put J.K. Rowling in the exams because that's just odd. Okay, so scrap that idea. <laughs> yes, I've got lots don't. of other good ideas, though. Come don't. to me for the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be very careful with this because you never know when people might quit the podcast and say, oh, well, I heard people talking about. No, it's not a good idea. <laughs> the chance <laughs> of the exam board listening to my podcast after the things <laughs> I've said about them. Yeah, that's never going to happen. But anyway, we're, we're cycling away from Greek again. So back to Greek. So you teach Greek in exactly the same way that you teach Latin. So there's a certain amount of um, speaking and listening and fun. But the exam, I'm guessing, how does the exam work? Is it the same as the Latin exam? Same kind of format, same exam boards? How does that work? It used to be. We used to do the OCR one. Um, there's only OCR for that one. But now there is a new kid on the blog, and I'm very excited that you're asking me about it because we have the intermediate certificate in Greek, which is equivalent to half a GCSE and covers the grammar of the first half, but does not require you to do the literature. And it, they've made it very accessible. You can see it pretty much anywhere. You don't even need to be in a school. It costs 15 pounds. You can receive it again the following year if you're um, if you think you didn't do as well as you wanted, and it's a pleasure to study because you have um, quality time to spend and you don't need to worry about a very difficult honours exam at the end. And who so, who runs that? 
that is run by hmm, is it i know it's the classics for all is behind it yes yeah, the classic the classic association and classics for all and they awarded themselves so it's the intermediate certificate in classical greek okay so it's not like a btech or no NCFE no no it's a or any of those separate things. one how is it different to a gcse for example what are the things that aren't in it and what are the things that are extra in it so you don't do the literature you only do the language and um something that i really like is that there's quite a lot of composition in greek so there's quite a lot of english to greek which gives you uh, um, an invitation to do more writing in Greek during lesson time and spend more time focusing on that. They're quite open as well with the translations that they will accept and the vocabulary list is very manageable. Yeah, now that's what I was going to ask you actually because obviously mm -hmm. my perception as I as sort of when I started this segment was that Greek is harder because it's got a different alphabet and I wondered whether that is reflected in the exam in as much as it's slightly easier texts or slightly easier just because they they take account of the fact that you've had to learn a new alphabet. No, absolutely. Like for the GCC exam, the standard one, there's no difference. In fact, it could be argued that the Greek one is a bit more difficult because people generally have less time to get ready for it. And the outcome is pretty much the same as the Latin one. For the intermediate certificate, it is a bit different because um, obviously it's half a GCSE, so you have a shorter vocabulary and less grammar to learn. But it's okay. not to account for the the writing. Believe me, you write the writing very quickly. <laughs> Damn, it's I was hoping it might be a nice, easy GCSE, thing. but no. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to the GCSEs, I know that a lot of private schools do Latin and some private schools do Greek because it's just a thing. It's a tradition. They like to put it on the curriculum so that posh parents are like, look, my child knows Latin. Right. So um, that's a very mean um, view. But that is it is a very mean view. I was thinking like, well, no, <laughs> it's a home education podcast. I can get they, away with it. <laughs> they put it in the in the syllabus because they can. And um it's uh, useful, even though ah, that's people my might question. argue so, something else. I, th I thought how... we were going to get to the point where you asked me about that's the exactly, utility. That's exactly where I was going. So why would a home educating family, for example, choose Latin or Greek? It, would it be with an eye to a degree, like something like if they wanted to do classics or even something like ancient history? Or is there something integral within the subjects that makes them uh, useful? I think there isn't one single answer for this question. It will depend on the student. For some students, it will be an integral part of their education and the worldview. For others, they may prefer to do another language to this level of depth and analysis and knowing the literature. I'm not going, I'm not going to argue that Latin is superior to, say, doing German. I am going to say, however, that when you do the Latin GCSE, you are doing literature at a level that you're not doing it with your German exam. But um, it's definitely a choice to do with the interests of the student. Is it linguistically helpful? If, for example, say, for example, my daughter decided to do Latin and Greek, um, would it then help her when she's 45 and decides to have a midlife crisis and backpack around the world and she wants to then... I don't know, she's like in a coffee shop in Verona. Would it, would it be helpful in that circumstance? Look, I am a Latin tutor 
I I I I make my living out of teaching Latin. And You're going to turn around saying, and go, no, it's totally useless. <laughs> well, I could be saying to you, absolutely, it's uh, it just does wonders to the structure of your brain. I don't believe any of that. Languages are languages. Um, her analytical skills are going to improve if she does Latin, and they're going to improve if she does Mandarin, and they're going to improve if she does Arabic. I don't think there's anything superior about Latin. She could do any other language and then spend time studying linguistics and grammar, which is what we do when we study Latin, and achieve exactly the same effect. So my answer is no. Will it be easier to learn Italian if you know Latin? Of course. But it will also be easier to learn Italian if you've learned Spanish, because they're very similar languages, not because there's any... um, natural superiority in the structure of the Latin language. It's a language like any other. What it has is the tradition and the wealth of texts that had been written in it and the use that the the, the words have um, taken later on in other languages. Yeah. But (laughs) there's nothing in Latin learning the structure of language that's going to make you superior in any way. You may as I well be like doing lots. I feel like lots of Latin scholars should listen to this because I think. But no, I don't want them to listen. There. They might be angry with me. Uh, not <laughs> everyone agrees with this point of view. Um, often, it's used as a selling point for Latin and Greek that it will make you have better. I don't know problem-solving skills and make you better at maths it will make you better at german and i think well but if you want to learn german then learn german it's like a really roundabout way to learn your german <laughs> to do three years of latin if you don't like it so that then german will be easier afterwards doesn't make a lot of sense you may as well just do german and perhaps when you pick up latin afterwards it will be easier because you've done german I mean, when I when I moved to Spain briefly last year, I learned Spanish and I also know French and I spent my entire life switching from one to another without meaning to. I was like a train that is yes. constantly crossing the tracks. I ended yes. up speaking a kind of, you know, people talk about franglais, which is like French and English. Yeah. I, I ended up speaking the kind of <laughs> Prespania. Yeah, really but that's about. fine. That's fine. As long as you can communicate. If you people had spent there sweet. longer, yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. So my last question to you is, you know, English, Latin, Greek, French, Spanish, German, I'm guessing a bit of Italian and a bit of Mandarin. And I suspect there's some more going on in there because you're a bit of a polyglot, right? So Arabic. I studied Arabic. Oh, I studied Arabic and loved Arabic. It's all a bit rusty, but obviously I can still read a bit, but um, it's a bit rusty. It's been a lot. It was a long time ago. But I've studied many languages, not all of them I've kept. So over time, um, quite a few dead ones um, as well. So I've done Hittite and I have done Sanskrit as well in the past. They're not languages that I keep alive at the moment, but I studied them because I was interested in their history and their structure and the texts written in them. I had another lovely visual image of you settling down for the evening in your armchair and getting out a papyrus <laughs> tablet and a clay, <laughs> a bit of clay, and just perusing a bit of Hittite. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so you know a lot of you know a lot of languages, and I have my last question to you is a trick question, kind of. What is the easiest language to learn? That do you think you're going to say they're all easy and they're all hard? But I want to know yes. what's the easiest one? Do you think? 
I think for every person, there will be a different easiest language depending on what the first language is. So the easiest language to learn will be the closest to your mother tongue. If you're English then. I don't know. I am not English, but I would say <laughs> if I was English, um, potentially Dutch. And interestingly for English people, from the point of view of vocabulary, French. Now, they are not that close in terms of the typology, but they are quite close in terms of the where the vocabulary of English comes from. So you have a lot of understanding there just from knowing words because they've moved on to English and they're part of English now. That's so true. A lot of our a lot mm. of our vocabulary come from, has come from France, and actually living here in South Wales, uh, Welsh is very similar to French as well. Not it's it's considerably harder, but it has like a lot of similarities. I think because there was trade routes or something. Don't ask me. I'm not great with languages, but but I can safely say that if you're English, Welsh is not a naturally easy language. Well, <laughs> no, because it it's a it's a Celtic language. But if you're Welsh and then you want to learn Irish, then things mm -hmm. are easier. Yeah. So for um, you, what was the easiest language you learned? For me, hmm. the the language I've picked up with the least effort has been Italian. I've never done a lesson in Italian in my life, but I can read books and I go to Italy and I talk to people because it's so similar to Catalan and Spanish. There's and a big Latin. crossover, isn't there? There's a big crossover. I, I was surprised when I went to Portugal how little crossover there was between Portuguese and Spanish. There is, um, once you get used to the pronunciation differences, and once you get used to the equivalences, like when you have this sound in Spanish, you generally have this one in Portuguese, then you start seeing through the wow. apparent differences and you mm. see the similarities underneath. You're right. A lot of it is the pronunciation. And as, mm -hmm. as somebody who learned a lot of French when I was young, I really struggled with Spanish until my Spanish tutor said, just pronounce everything. And I'm like, yes, just say a lot of sense every now. letter <laughs> because it's, it's a very really transparent easy, it? language as well. Mm. It's like Latin and Greek, I have to say, in that sense, because um, we the language has um, the, the way we write the language reflects the the way we speak the language. So you don't have to do the double job that you have, for example, in in French, where you need to learn letter combinations to create different sounds. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It, yeah. it's more straightforward in that way, I think, isn't it? Indeed. So for anyone who's listening, who is now thinking, oh my God, I so want to learn Latin and join a little Facebook group and chat in Latin. And I want to also learn ancient Greek so that my child can natter away to, in ancient Greek to his neighbor. So, and I'm sure there will be people out there because it can't just be me who has this reaction, surely. I think Tell there us. are lots of people, yes. <laughs> I think there are too, right? Particularly ancient Greek, I think. Uh, it's very appealing. It's very appealing. And, uh, and then you're learning a different alphabet as well when you go to... Greece today you can easily move around it's just fantastic yeah I mean it's, it, there's something very cool about being able to talk in ancient Greek I mean mm -hmm. that is that is the height of cool in actual fact talking in Hittite perhaps trumps it but I'm guessing that's not a thing well I would really say it's not a thing but who knows um it Probably wasn't a thing somewhere. when I was studying Hittite certainly <laughs> not we were reading the uh the tablets and that that's that's where it ended but um, I know that there's a bit of a scene with Middle Egyptian, for example. So it's just the new way of learning languages. People have realized you you acquire the language faster. You're able to read complex 
texts with more ease if you're able to speak the language. And so why not use it as a tool? Obviously, you're not going to go around talking to Hittite uh, warriors, but it's going to help you read the texts. It might get you out of some tricky situations if they invent time travel, however. But on that note, Absolutely. on that completely mad note, do tell <laughs> do tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can read about your services, I don't know, follow you on social media or that kind of jazz. Uh, yeah, I can give you the, um, the, the links later on to put on the website, but uh, yeah. mostly I can be found on my website, which is www.latintutoronline.com dot com that's a good uh, website address i quite like it yes there, <laughs> there clearly aren't many latin tutors if you manage to nab that one yeah there are a few but they they have um permutations of the same name as me but mine is really good i would say i like and um, so they can find me there if they write anna martin latin i come up quite quickly in any sense that's anna like with that. one n anna with one n yeah anna martin yeah. I also have an Instagram account that's the Latin Tutor Online. And I have a YouTube channel, which I'm working on at the moment. Um, I was initially putting a lot of videos up there and then I've had a bit of a lull. And this summer, now that my exam students are gone, I will be putting more materials. Uh, the plan is from September to start doing more group lessons. So particularly, I want to do different groups for the um, intermediate Greek certificate and also for the key stage three Latin for pre-GCSE. Well, I'm, I'm off to follow you on Instagram to see whether you post photos of yourself settling down with a Mesopotamian tablet in your arms. For well, <laughs> I think you'll find lots of pictures of bread and things like that in my Instagram because I like experimental archaeology. So now that the summer is coming, I'm going to start cooking again. I have my books ready. Uh, so I do lots of Roman cooking. I have a bit of it in my uh, blog as well as a way of bringing the past back to life. So you use old recipes and recreate them? Yes, and... yes. So you can read the recipe in Latin and then reduce the amount of pepper dramatically <laughs> because otherwise you can't eat it and the fish sauce and then adapt it for the little ones in the house. It's actually lots of fun. Uh, I did two years ago. Was it two summers ago? I think so, yeah. Um, I think it was the pandemic summer. Um, we were a lot at home and I um, decided to have my whole family eating only the foods that the Romans would have eaten when they were in Britain. So we were not allowed potatoes or tomatoes or corn or anything like that. And I was putting fish sauce everywhere. Well, some of the spices made it through the spice route. So you would be surprised. Some of the Roman food tastes quite a bit like Indian food. I'm surprised that pepper was there because I thought the whole pepper route came later. Oh, no, the Romans had the, the pepper coming from the east and they paid a lot of money for it. And in fact, we don't know if these recipes we have had really so much pepper in it or if people were being posh and showing off and saying put all this pepper let's be rich and and happy and show off with our recipes uh, so it's a bit like stuff. nigella lawson where she used to be like and obviously you'd put a quail egg on the top of this and you'd like would it yeah. i really though would i put like 500 <laughs> quail eggs on my omelet i don't think so uh, don't think so exactly <laughs> yeah but it's the same thing you need to really eat with a pinch of salt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the cooking metaphor at the end. Very yeah. nice. 
Well, thank you so much, Anna. That was a really fun podcast. And I honestly am so intrigued now by all these mental images I have of these people chatting away in Latin and stuff. It sounds fabulous. So thank you so much for coming on today. It was a real pleasure meeting you. Thank you very much, Eleanor. It was a pleasure as well. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day. Bye.